What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Frank Olivier. Frank is one of my favorite performers. I saw him for the first time at Scott Neary's Booby Trap on Wednesday nights in Los Angeles, and Frank totally blew me away. It was the best show I'd ever seen. I, I, I was completely flabbergasted at how natural he made looking like a buffoon look. It was honestly incredible because he's he's one of the most talented people I've ever seen. I can't tell you enough good things about Frank, and I'm really excited that he sat down with me to talk about his show, Twisted Cabaret, some of the different appearances he's made on television and stage, and how important it is to be empathetic, to be authentic, and to be present in the moment when you're performing so that you're expressing yourself and your art appropriately, and so that your audience is enraptured and entertained and educated about what real performance art looks like in this sense. He's got a bunch of great stories, and if you have a chance, and you're listening to this the week it comes out, Frank is performing a portion of his show, his Twisted Cabaret show, in the Pillar Theater at the Magic Castle this weekend. So tonight, the day it comes out, tonight through Sunday, you can go see Frank at the Magic Castle. I highly recommend it. Again, top three favorite performers of all time in just unbelievably incredible so get into the episode it's going to be great you're going to love it as always follow us on social media channels join our newsletter instagram.com slash magical thinking podcast and slash treasury of wonder and you can find us on facebook by searching art of magic and magical thinking podcast we also have a facebook group that i encourage you to join it's cool you're gonna like it there's good discussion going on from people listening to the show all over the world it's really interesting and i'm proud to be a part of it if you have any questions or comments email them to me at podcast at artofmagic.com and let me know what you thought of the episode frank olivier amazing master performer enjoy what, what, do, you, what do you call yourself are you a magician or a variety uh, performer? a variety artist generally i'll call myself a variety artist Magician, juggler, comedian. Many talents. How did you, I mean, obviously, have to ask, how did you get started? started. We could do that. Are we recording now or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going, okay. Yeah. No. There's no There's no intro. This okay. is very, very I got, informal. I got started, uh, I tell people it was third grade when a fireman came to our third grade class and he taught fire safety using three juggling balls as visual aids for fire safety. He explained how to keep the baby away from the fire and the fire away from the oxygen and he juggled them around. And that completely captivated me. It wasn't until years later I realized, wait a minute, he was also keeping the baby away from the oxygen. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I went and started working on, and he juggled them around in a circle, what you call a shower, three ball shower which is a very, very, very difficult way to learn. I worked on it that way on my own for a couple of years till somebody said, well, why don't you do the crossing pattern, the cascade? And with that, the what? They showed me, and right away I caught on and was often, often flying with the juggling stuff. That's when I was 11. Wow. Yeah. So the juggling stuff was first. And then I, I was just talking about this with somebody, how it's all kind of tangential. I mean, you... You start with one, and you inevitably will dabble with the others. Yeah, know? they're actually... I, the commonality is you have to enjoy practicing to get good at any of these things. Uh, the the differences are pretty stark, though, as well. With, with magic, 
You take all the skill you have and you turn it inward and make it look like you're not doing a damn thing. <laughs> and with the juggling, it's just the opposite. You figure out how to make it look as difficult as possible. <laughs> like <you just> barely, <laughs> that's what makes it exciting is if you're just holding on by the, just barely holding on to magic, that's not what you want to see at all. So it's very different skills. Uh, taking your skill and putting it outward or putting it inward. It's a whole different direction to it. Sure. How do you, how does doing juggling and being like a phenomenal juggler, how does that influence how you do magic then? Um, Because that's how you started. Yeah, I started with juggling and then unicycling right after that. And then within a year, my father had introduced uh, my brother and I to one of his friends who had been a professional magician uh, who'd had a magic act with his mother, actually, a psychic act and done magic and so forth. Dan Solo. Dan Solo. Uh, and Dan Solo. Is it Dan or Don? Dan. <laughs> I was making a Han or Han joke. Oh, okay. No, no. no. <laughs> no Dan, Dan Solo. And he gave my brother and I some really nice props. You know, some nice wooden uh, nice wooden sucker sliding die box and a, some high quality linking rings. Things you wouldn't normally give to 12 year old kids or stuff. But uh, there they were. And, uh, and that kicked me into it in a, in a way which I don't think would have if he'd slapped me a thumb tip and run <laughs> off. <laughs> was it the beauty of the objects and like kind of the mystique of was having, nice props? Having something there that was valuable that wasn't just stamped out of plastic. It was actually, you know, had been crafted. Yeah. Uh, these things that, uh, you know, that were nice. And then... Uh, my brother and I both learned magic for a while, but he, he gave it up after a while. I kept going. Dan Solo moved out of the area, and about seven years ago, I guess, at the Oakland Magic Circle, a gentleman walks up to me. Hi, I'm Dan Solo. What's your name? <laughs> I got to say, Dan Solo, you're the reason I'm here. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Said, yeah, I'm Frank Olivier. Oh my goodness, he'd followed my career and uh, the, the <clears throat> was familiar with what I'd done. And I got to show him a whole bunch of stuff I'd innovated uh, in magic and um, run through a bunch of that. He passed away probably three years ago now, but uh, got to spend that a, a number of times. Got to spend some time with him. It was a huge reward. That's incredible. Wow. Came full circle. Exactly. That's beautiful. How did, I mean, what was... What was your childhood like that prepared you to do all this weird stuff? And I say that in the most loving yeah. way possible. People always ask if my parents were supportive <laughs> of learning juggling and magic and unicycling and mime and fire eating, all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And the answer is yes, they were very supportive, but they were folk singers. So this was a step up. Which <laughs> <laughs> is actually true. They were... Uh... My father ran the Berkeley Folk Festivals, and so I grew up around all sorts of different artists, and um, and he also taught guitar. Wow. So do you play? I play some, yeah, yeah. That's cool. You were sort of bred for performing then. In a way, I, I, I also found it on my own. I was never pushed into it. I wasn't, uh, but there was an, an encouragement and an understanding that this could be a valid way of life. Sure, <laughs> there yeah. There isn't always. Yeah. That's great. Uh, My mother's mother never, for the longest time, 
could not get it into her head that I could make a living doing this and I was doing street performing and this was oh my goodness is he asking strangers for money and he's <laughs> he's practically homeless exactly yeah and then I landed a role in Sugar Babies with Nikki Rooney and Ann Miller and she came and saw that show here I was you know doing my act as part of that show it was a huge huge break for me and that was all of a sudden, she was telling all of her friends about her <laughs> son who's in the theater. <laughs> was that so? When when did that happen? I did four years of street performing, and then uh, went uh, uh, went to New York on vacation. Uh -huh. Didn't even bring my props with me. I was just going to go on my first real vacation on my own back east to see friends and a couple family members. And uh, while I was there. There was this newfangled thing, the phone answering machine that you could actually pick up the messages remotely by putting this beeper up to the phone, and you could pick up your messages. And I'm picking up these messages from some producers who are wanting to see me in Toronto for something, and they're calling my California number, and I'm calling and trying to hook up with them. And when we finally end up talking to each other, we're both in New York. Wow. And, uh, well, we can do it in an empty theater tomorrow. We can do an audition. I, th I said, sure. The idea of an empty theater, I'd never played to no crowd. How, how would this work for my act? Uh, so I'm, I'm stalling and I say, if I could find a place to do it in front of a crowd tomorrow night rather than tomorrow afternoon, could we, could, could we make that work? They say, sure. How are you going to do that? Let me work on it. <laughs> And I found a friend who was performing in a comedy club, a guy I knew from back east, uh, from, who, who was from back east, who, uh, who spent a lot of time in San Francisco. He should, after his set, he showed me around a couple of the clubs. I'll show you around. And we get into the comic strip on 2nd Avenue in New York. And I just knew this is where I want to do this audition. I say, who's, you know, who books this room? Oh, he happens to be here tonight. His name is Lucian. He's over there at the bar. So then I walk up to Lucian Hold, this gentleman who was running the comic strip and booking it, and did what I got told, I've been told dozens of times was impossible to do. Walk up to Lucian Hold on a Friday night, <laughs> asking to go on as an unknown on Saturday night, first show Saturday night, I wanted to go on. <laughs> this is what I want to do, I've got this big audition, talked my way on. Wow. How, how? How did you do it? What did you say? I just said I had a big audition. I looked around at a number of clubs and I want to do it here. Uh, and is there a way we can make this work? And with enough focus, people catch, people catch focus when you really are on fire with something, with an idea. Uh, they feel it. They empathize with that drive. Yeah, right? exactly. And Lucian didn't like jugglers either. He was a, you know, a, a little more of a purist. He had... I think I was one of the only jugglers to play that, that room. Wow. And each time I'd come into town, I'd call him up. Hey, Frank, you want to go on? Tell me when. I'll, I'll put you on. <laughs> I could walk in and almost go on stage. He, he was so excited to have me each time. That's amazing. So, and when did you start busking? I'm trying to put together a time frame. <clears throat> okay. I started busking when I was 19 years old. I went through clown college right out of, straight out of high school at 18 years old. I went to Ringling Brothers Clown College which isn't our real college. It's a, it was an eight week long course, but morning to night, pretty intensive. Went through with Charlie Fry and uh, Mike Goodell and some other, uh, yeah, Robert Lind, number of different people were all in my year. Wow. Uh, and uh, 
was heartbroken when I didn't get offered a contract to be a ringling <laughs> Seriously, this was something I really wanted to do. And uh, after after Clown College did not get offered a contract till about about six months later, they offered me a contract. By then, I was street performing and making way more money doing that than I would have made as a ringling clown <laughs> and a huge amount more freedom and doing exactly what I was wanting to do. That's amazing. What kind of stuff were you doing on the street? Early on? Uh-huh. My first spots were... It's kind of an interesting story. My very, it was, I was juggling and unicycling and, and comedy. It was a combination. Or at first it wasn't really comedy. It was me trying to do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up being comedy within fairly short order. Actually, one of my very first spots, I'd come up with ideas for several different things, including the unicycle ballet you saw, a three-club routine, uh, a couple of other tricks that uh, have actually stayed in the show throughout the years. I came up with these ideas for routines and I was over at my cousin's house, and she had a she got a call from her friends who were uh, singers who had who had a band that was playing in two nights from then, and their opening act had canceled. What are we going to do? Oh my gosh! I said, I overheard overhear this conversation, and I say, I could do it. What? She says, my cousin's a juggler, and he could come in, and and so I came out to this nightclub with these half-baked ideas and enough of a structure so that it was a structure to the show, beginning, middle, and end, and, uh -huh. and I would do this and this and this, you know, the order of the routines, but the actual routines weren't very finished at all. And it went brilliantly. I was improvising, I was loose, the crowd fell in love with me, and, and vi vice versa. Oh my God, this was fantastic. And then after that, I was so excited by that. I was now definitely going to put together this street show. Uh, and I went and hammered everything out and worked out all the routines down to the letter and rehearsed them and knew exactly what I was going to say when and went out and started doing street shows. And it was awful. <laughs> awful. The thing that kept me going was that memory of before. And my friend Frank Militello, stage name Frank Miles, came out and saw me. I got him to come out and see me on the streets. And afterwards, he sets me down and says, I'm just going to tell you what you told me, because I told him about the show I'd done, um, about how loose you were and how easy it felt and how you didn't, uh, how the crowd was right with you and it was all happening in the present moment. And my heart sort of sunk down. I realized I'd taken that and tried to hammer it out so it would, it would, I would know exactly what was going to happen, exactly when. And that wasn't, uh, knocked the life out of it, yeah. what I'd done. And so then I started uh, improvising more and more and making things work. Did a renaissance fair where I came up with a really goofy character, sort of a village idiot, laughing at my own stuff. And that also was something I tried to train myself out of early on because that's what comedians do. They teach themselves not to laugh at their own stuff yeah uh, but it's uh, not my style i actually have a fun time <laughs> if i don't get it going who's going to <laughs> yeah i did that i mean that lesson has just been totally pervasive throughout your career then right just that kind of loosey-goosey keeping it loose enough so that it can stay alive in the moment yeah. and eventually the jokes when you get things down to where there's you know six laughs a minute and there's not really a lot of room for improvising but if something throws you off your game those are the jewels those aren't the curses yeah it's uh 
you take uh, take what's given in the moment and and let it all be real yeah that's amazing it feels so much more authentic that way too for the audience because they want they want to see something true you know right sincerity is the key once you can fake that you've got it made <laughs> the old saying goes <laughs> yeah it's uh i've been lucky that people like me when i did stand up for a period of time i would go up on stage and my opening was going up on stage and not saying anything and looking out at the crowd and just that moment there's uh, without knowing i like to i used to like to go on stage without knowing what my opening line was because uh-huh. it would force me to be here present with this crowd now and uh that's amazing so when when were you doing stand up because i would imagine you would have had to built up like your nerves basically to 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 be confident enough in yourself to walk out there without knowing your line i never got good at stand up i will say i i did it at the time early on 19 20 21 years old i was working in comedy clubs and um yeah i was i was first doing the street performing and got pretty good at that to where i was adequate at that and then i'd been going to take comedy writing workshops with this guy named frank what is his last name guy that ran the holy city zoo in san francisco the club where all the (laughs) comics hang out and robin williams and 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 dana carvey and Whoopi goldberg all these people hanging out back in robin was just hitting it huge so he was a big deal already but dana was nobody and Uh Whoopi was nobody and (laughs) amazing it was pretty pretty sweet time so i get i'm doing these workshops in comedy writing and this guy frank who ran the workshops and ran the club said i hear you do a real funny you're, you're doing a really funny juggling act i said yeah yeah he goes can you come out on saturday night to the holy city zoo oh my goodness this was like a dream come true to yes yes i can and i get there and he says, yeah, I want you to perform out in front of the club and sort of see if you can pull a crowd over here. And oh. my heart sinks down. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I had agreed to come out and do this thing. And it's not, it was on Clement Street. It wasn't a, a, wasn't a not happening street, but it wasn't a place where you'd go set up to do street shows. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, I pull a crowd. I got a big crowd around. <laughs> doing. going to do a little short show and then invite them all in. And at the back of the crowd is Frank holding, putting his finger across his neck, cut it off, cut it off. <laughs> and I stop what I'm doing. I wrap up the sort of bail on the show. Thank you very much. That's what we're doing for tonight. And he says, I think you were stopping some of the people who were going to come into the club. <laughs> <laughs> and I got ballsy at this point. I laid into him. You idiot. At the end of the show, they're all coming into the club. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. I'm working for you. <laughs> And I thought you were inviting, I said, I thought you were inviting me out to perform on stage. And now I come out and performing in front of the club. And it turns out you don't even want me to do a good job in front of your club. You want me to be a bad juggler in front of your club. (laughs) (laughs) And right then, amazing Jonathan walks out to say, hey, I'm not going to be able to stay for the second show. And he says, you're on for the second show. Wow. (laughs) That's great. Went from outdoors to indoors. killed on the inside and started working there in the other cafe and all these comedy rooms and then headlining clubs and that's amazing wow that's awesome yeah so so 
Were you, when you were doing stand-up, were you just doing stand-up, or were you uh, like I, also doing magic and juggling and stuff? I did a combination of both. I, there was a period of time where I was working on my five to ten minute spot of just straight stand-up, and I did that a bunch of times, but I, like I said, I never got really good at that. Mm-hmm. Wish I had. That would have been a good thing to have stuck with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have had good fun with it. I mean, there's a, those moments you remember, oh my gosh. I was talking with my with with my friend Frank Militello. Um, he was reminding me of a time <clears throat> I was where he was with me, and I was going on to do stand up at the at the Punchline in San Francisco, and the guy before me stunk it up so bad, <laughs> like the crowd turned on him, and he turned on the crowd, and everyone was really angry by the end of it. And I turned to to Frank and said, "I'm sure glad the MC goes on between us." And the MC gets up on stage and he just says, "Our next act." I said, "No, he's supposed to." <laughs> you gotta clean this mess up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm walking up on stage and I'm trying to. I, like I, I, I like to go up and not know what my opening line was, but I was. My brain is just spinning 100 miles an hour, and I get up on stage. I don't know where I, where it came from. I just said, just got up onto the stage, took a big deep breath. Whew, into the microphone, the crowd just busts up laughing because here's my job now, and, and they all knew what the real situation was. Yeah, and I just said, "You know how they pay some farmers not to grow crops?" <laughs> <laughs> His laughter that went into applause. That's really and the room funny. was back. Uh, those are the those are the magic moments where you say where you come up with just the right solution for the given situation, where it's alive and in the moment. I slammed the guy before me without actually saying anything bad about him. <laughs> yeah. You just, I mean, th- that electricity in the room, I mean, you know, everybody can feel it. And you just, you just let all the steam out with that perfect line. That's amazing. Those are always the fun ones where you come up with the, the right thing in the right moment. Adrenaline at work, if you allow it to, will work, will work its magic and you'll come up with I write jokes on stage instantaneously that come out word perfect, exactly. Now, I can sit down and write those jokes in five or ten minutes, but it's not five or ten minutes of refining it and figuring out just the right word. It comes out spot on, on stage, in the moment, exactly like you want it to come out with the adrenaline, and that's the magic of the stage. It's... Yeah, it's amazing. There's got to be... <sighs> That has to be a honed thing, though. I mean, somebody can't just get up on stage and and be nervous and have the adrenaline. And I mean, you kind of, it's it's like a weird needs to be some proficiency with what you're doing. I think, yeah, yeah, that's true. Or some some yeah. amount of comfort. But if there's too much comfort, then you get into your groove and you do your thing and you do it like you always do it, and you're not in the moment anymore. Yeah. That's like what I when I when I first hammered out the act exactly like I knew it was going to happen each night. Uh, each show, uh, doing a street show, and it didn't work. Uh, and I was also, it changed my character around. It was, hurry, 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 step right up. The show is about to begin, and that's not me. That's somebody I thought I could be. Yeah. And the difference between who you are and who you want to present that you are <clears throat> is uh, what kills a huge number of different acts. Because there's too much of a disconnect between how they actually are and how they want to come across. Yep. And anything you're doing on stage, it doesn't matter if you're acting or singing or doing a, a, a magic act or stand up, whatever it is, 
there's two things that can happen. You can take the material that you're presenting to the crowd, the song or the lines of the acting or your, your act, and you can put it up between yourself and the crowd so they aren't able to see you. It's a hiding mechanism. And those exact same lines, those exact same actions, those exact same tricks can also be used in exactly the opposite way, which is an, an opening way, which because of what you're doing, the crowd is able to see and know more about who you are. And that's what we should be striving for, in my opinion. If the crowd is learning more about you through what you're doing, but it's this ephemeral, difficult to describe difference between the two. Yeah. You put, you're saying the same words, you're doing the same things, but if you're, it's the vulnerability, the real vulnerability. If you allow that in and allow yourself to be human in front of these people, they feel that humanity and that's makes the whole thing work. And if you use those same tricks or lines or whatever you're doing as a, shield they'll feel the distance you're holding and and it'll never work no matter what you're doing yeah uh, <laughs> you're like yeah yes this is very special to me because like what you just said resonates with me so much i teared up a little bit i swear oh, okay. I just... <laughs> <laughs> well. uh, yeah i i mean it because i i was literally just having a similar conversation which is so many magicians i mean and it goes into like the whole how come magic is more popular it's because most lay people don't ever see magicians and the magicians that they do aren't being authentic they aren't aren't expressing themselves in a way mm -hmm. that is honest and vulnerable and artistic and uh -huh. and and so people don't like magic because they've never seen an artistic performance mm -hmm. your your performance at uh booby trap the last time that you were there which was the the unicycle ballet yes uh -huh. is the most joy i've ever experienced watching somebody do something on stage oh that's sweet Thank i i said to jordan i was like that's the best act of anything i've ever seen it, it really moved me very powerfully um starts off with the whole unic unicycle ballet number uh riding a unicycle a short unicycle in, in a tutu Actually, it probably started off with a strip tease before that, juggling and stripping off my clothes till I'm just in a tutu and uh, leotard and tutu and then going into this ballet. And then at the end of that, I get a guy out of the crowd explaining the true heart of the ballet isn't in the solo like what I've just done. It's rather in the pas de deux or dance for two. And I step him up on stage and I hold up this big black cloth hoop with two, two openings for his feet to go in. And when I lift the cloth up over his head, this sort of tube of cloth lifts up over his head, and when it comes up over his head, he's wearing a tutu. <laughs> and and we do this goofy little dance together, and I'm always surprised by how much people will do. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh -huh. And that's my favorite volunteer routine, because by the end of this show, I'm almost, almost every show I can get somebody standing on my legs, uh, leaning back, holding one hand, and opening out, and doing this beautiful little thing for the finish of it, and rolling over each other's backs, and doing these... But I like that finish for it because the guy ends up being, you think he's looking like a fool, but he actually ends up as a hero. Uh, and that that's my favorite part of that routine, that he actually ends up pulling this whole thing off. That if you'd asked him, can you do this? The answer would have been absolutely not. Yeah. 
but uh, when you bring them into it step by step by step, you're building that confidence yep. as it as it goes. It really is uh, just an amazing, amazing, wonderful routine, and uh, it that to me is like the feeling of being a spectator when the magician puts magic into your hands when you're the one that cuts the cards or you're the one that oh. does the thing uh-huh. it's like but they, but it's on such a bigger scale because in that routine in that act this random person from the audience is like doing a ballet with with someone who is expertly proficient in what it is they do you know like it's very clear that you're in control and guiding this person to kind of be the hero you know you're playing the straight man even though you're doing all these goofy things it's like you're you're providing the support for this amazing thing tell you my favorite story of whatever the one of my favorite things that ever happened with that routine i was in san francisco playing the san francisco golf club very, very she-she sort of uh, exclusive club. It's not even, you can't even find it on the map or you couldn't for a number of years because they didn't want anyone to know where they were. Wow. And uh, they had me coming in to do a comedy act. They'd never had this before. They had a little bit of background music at some, a couple of events, but this is dinner after this uh, golf tournament thing. And I'm doing walk around beforehand, doing close-up magic and Bill Murray's there. I'd end up doing a few number of tricks for Bill Murray. And I go up to the guy that hired me and said, Bill Murray's here. I'm going to be bringing up a couple of volunteers in the spot I do after dinner. I wanted to ask if he'd come up. He says, absolutely not. Mr. Murray is our guest and I don't want you asking him to perform. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it starts. You probably already guess how it ends. <laughs> I, I, I came up with a good response to that, which was, He's also an old comedy guy, and we're doing a comedy show, and to not invite him uh, might be a faux pas on its own. He goes, oh, okay, you're probably right. Uh, you can ask, but no pressure, because this guy's been around me. I'm, I'm good at getting people to do things they don't want to do. <laughs> but I just went from, my, no, I can't ask him, to, yes, I can, so I'll take that. Yeah, Mr. Murray, I'm a huge fan. He'd seen me already doing some magic. I said, I'm doing a comedy show after dinner. And I uh, bring up a couple, <clears throat> bring up a couple of volunteers. If you'd like to be one of those people, uh, you're you're invited. I'd love to have you up. But he says, usually I like to steer away from that sort of thing. I said, absolutely fine. He says, but I shot such a lousy game of golf today. I deserve it. Yeah, bring me up. Rake me over the coals. This is gonna be fun. Just like he ramps up his energy in the movies from yeah. zero to sixty in a matter of a few sentences. Happened there in person. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go up to the guy who booked me. He wants to do it. I find out later he went up to Bill and said, you don't have to. Bill said, oh, no, no, I want to do this. So I get on stage after dinner and I start doing my juggling routine. And here from the back of the room, I hear Bill Murray. The helicopter, some trick I'm announcing. He says, don't do it. (laughs) Stop the juggling. Mr. Bill Murray heckling me. Usually I try to discourage hecklers, but this is an honor, Mr. Murray. You go right ahead. <laughs> but right as soon as he was yelling out, I put together what he was doing. Uh-huh. He's an old Second City guy. And one uh-huh. of the rules of improv is you don't bring someone else into a scene. That's considered very, very bad manners. You bring yourself into the scene. So that's what he was doing. He was There's a, there's a juggling show going on and he's going to be part of it. Then he's going to make himself part of it. I'm not going to make him part of it. That would be poor form for the improv rules. 
So, oh, and that was the other thing. Right before I went on, the 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 guy who had hired me said, "I see you setting up for the ballet and the 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 tutu and all that." He says. I'm not going to tell you what to do or not do, but I would lean away from that routine for this crowd. I said, absolutely fine. Went over and told the person running the sound, we may not even do this routine. Don't worry about the sound cues if they're not, you know, if I call them out of order. Okay, no problem. But then Bill Murray, second heckle, third heckle, right around then I said, the ballet is in and Mr. Murray's going to come up and dance with me. (laughs) And it just killed oh my god it was i, I got uh, i do the ballet all the way through to the end and then a huge response from that and then i walk all the way down this long room to the far side of this long narrow room where bill is seated at the opposite end of this as the stage doing that whole thing about that the true heart of the ballet is not in the solo rather in the pas de deux hold my hands out our eyes lock and that was before I had the, the tutu tube for him to step into the... I just bring him all the way back into the kitchen, get him into the tutu, and we come out. And when we come out and, the, and Bill's in a tutu, the room loses it. And he's halfway doing his own thing, and he's halfway following along with what I want him to do. Uh-huh. I actually get the person sitting on my shoulders at one point, on my back, and then hiked up so they're actually sitting on my shoulders. Now, all of a sudden, he's a big man. He's 220-something. I can't move to the right. I can't move to the left. I realize he's holding on to a cast iron chandelier over our heads. And he's getting heavy. I'm not going to be able to sustain this for too long. Mr. Murray and the crowd's busting up laughing. I know it seems funny, but let go of the chandelier. <laughs> Got to finish up the act. And he's, and he's up there laughing. I found out later he was trying to change one of the bulbs he was holding oh, on to. that's so funny. Exactly. So then I realized... How am I actually going to get out of this? This is a bit of a... And I realized if I lower myself down, he either needs to stay with the chandelier or come with me. I could go with either one of those. (laughs) I lower down. He comes down with me. We finish up the routine. We're coming up to the last... The music's finishing up. And I'm going to try and get him standing on my legs. It's going to happen after the music's over. Because there's no time to explain what he's to do. Uh But I just hold out my hands and tap my legs gently. And he's done all this crap before. He's an old physical comedy guy. He jumps up hitting the last note of the music perfectly, leaning out. Oh, my God. The whole place. Instant standing ovation. No pictures, the whole thing. (laughs) No video, no pictures. (laughs) Just one of those magic times. And the only way I convinced myself that it it was all actually real, and that's just how it came off, was... uh, there was a couple hundred people in the room, and I yeah. run into some of those people. I was there when Bill Murray. <laughs> that's, oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Wow, God, that's so cool. That was a crazy night. What was it like performing on Carson? Because that that video of you on Carson is Man. amazing. I mean, that was pretty wild as well. Um, I flew off to Florida mm. to do a show for. I was hanging out with the comedians in San Francisco and doing all of that. And uh, and the comedians in San Francisco, one of them would hear about Jim McCauley, who was booking The Tonight Show. If they heard he was going to be at a club and they knew the owner, they would fly down to Los Angeles here, try and get on the club, try and be seen by this guy. I go off to do a show for Disney on the Disney Network. What I think of as not, a, not, a, not too big of a to-do. It was a big to-do because it was a live TV show. That was mm-hmm. kind of fun. And at the end of this show in Florida comes, Hi, I'm Jim McCauley. How would you like to be on the Tonight Show? 
It's was, amazing. Uh, it was uh, truly amazing that uh, after having been around this whole scene of people trying to be seen by this guy, to go off to Florida to do this thing so far away from home and so far out, out there, I did just have that land this major show, the biggest show of my career. Yeah. Yeah. And did the Tonight Show first time with Gary Shandling and then uh, I think that uh, Johnny saw it and wanted me to come on with him. So I came on with Johnny. And that was, I was so nervous because everyone said, I do a routine where I, I have uh, the person hand me torches while I'm up on a tall unicycle and lean on their head and do all this stuff. And Johnny didn't <laughs> like to be touched. He was uh, known for not liking to be touched, but he also let the monkeys climb all over. I think what I do is similar to what the monkeys do. <laughs> that, that was okay with, with him somehow. So they tell me, oh, Mr. Carson will not come to the rehearsal. He'll send his guy who will take careful notes and go and brief him on it. Okay. And then right, right at rehearsal time, I hear from behind me, well, what are we going to do now? And that distinctive voice and spin around. There's, and they say, Mr. Carson, you want to do the rehearsal? He says, yeah, let's see what this is going to be. Um, I, my heart's sinking. Oh, my God. I thought the whole thing was going to come and be a crash and burn. And I go through the whole routine kind of lighter than I usually would because I don't want to be touching his head too much. And I, don't want to. <laughs> and I hop down at the end and finish it all up. And he just looks at me and puts his hand on my shoulder and says, slaps my shoulder and says, this could be a lot of fun. And something in me calmed way, way down at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then I was still very, very nervous right before going on. In the hour before I went on, I came up with my favorite joke from that set. I came up with a, something that was custom to that set, which is I got Johnny Carson by leaning on his head. He's just handing me the torches. The torches are lit. I'm waving him by his head. And, all, and I say, before I let you go, you are a man of tremendous influence. He says, yes. I said, Could you talk to Ed about getting me onto Star Search? <laughs> <laughs> Ed McMahon ran Star Search, which was the big the America's Got Talent of the time or whatever. But everyone who talked to Ed tried to get onto The Tonight Show and nobody. <laughs> so That's super a fun, fun reverse joke. The band members fell out of their chairs. <laughs> 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 Talking to Johnny about getting on the Ed show. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. That's... And when I came up with that joke, I knew it was going to kill. I didn't tell anyone what it was. I, I just came up with it and I sat on it, sat with it. Some of these things you need to hold the energy on. If you share an idea too early or you dissipate the energy that, uh, that you need on stage. So it's uh, not always recommended to talk about your ideas in advance. There's some a couple friends who will throw around ideas and who really contribute to them and uh, and who help spark that energy. But a huge amount of what you're doing, if you're talking about a routine, is you're taking the energy you should be putting into performance and putting it into a story about a future performance, and it dissipates all that energy. So, I really highly recommend when you come up with an idea, flush it out, work on it on your own. Or maybe with that one or two special friends who are good at keeping that energy going. Uh, but to, uh, to, to, to talk about your routines is, is an alternate to actually putting them together. That's brilliant. That's a phenomenal piece of advice. Something that I should probably take too. But it's so much fun. You come up with a great idea and you want to work, make it work. <laughs> I know. I would just want to share things with everybody. But I need, I, that's something that I absolutely need to do a better job of is just 
hammering things out and not hammering them out, you know, so that they're, you know, trying to create a finished piece before you ever show it to anybody. But like just well, for a lot of people, that's exactly what's called for. And to go out and to do the looser thing would be a, would be a mistake. But however you do it, you want it to be alive when you present it. Mm. Um, yeah. That's great. That's amazing. So how, when you, just to go back to busking, like how much, how were you building a crowd? What kind, I mean, what were you doing to, to be in the moment and to get people to watch whatever it was you were going to do? Um, one of my, actually, I wasn't performing a lot of magic back then, but when I was, when I was at Pier 39 or the cannery or someplace where there's a stage built in, I didn't do the smaller stuff. But where I was at a street fair or uh, really on the streets or something, I would sometimes start with close-up magic. Do a couple of small tricks, coin tricks, pull them in. Okay, before we get started, I'll show you guys something. In a few more people, back them up a little more, back them up a little more, do something a little bit bigger, and now you've got your crowd. Um, I used to gather a crowd with hat tricks. There was a time when I didn't think I could perform a comedy juggling routine without doing my hat routine, which was a stupid little announcing to the people that there was gonna be a, I was going to be doing hat juggling and a hat, hat, a hat tricks for you, hat tricks, a bunch of hat tricks, flipping it over my arm and catching it, just over and over again, the same little move. And I do this for way too long. <laughs> this one, this one, this is my favorite. <laughs> Then I go up to a second one, uh, swinging the hat around in a big circle. This, this is a different one. <laughs> but this one, back to the first one, this one's my favorite. That became a running gag. <clears throat> Kept coming back. And a third trick, a fourth trick. But of course, this one's my favorite. Keep coming back. It becomes a running gag. It, uh, and each time uh, <clears throat> you get a few more people coming up to the circle who hadn't been there earlier in the show. You guys just getting here? Go over and take the hat and flip it over my arm, and the crowd is just already laughing. It's uh, doing like you're going to show them the whole routine again. And... Uh-huh. That's great. That's great. How, like what? How? Where were these ideas coming from? Because they're sophisticated ideas, uh, as far as like psychologically, what's interesting about? I mean, like you know, you don't want to analyze something and then the magic goes away. But I mean, what? What was the inspiration for this stuff? Was well, it, I've been it doing a whole bunch of... Th- I think the first couple of times I went out, I was doing a whole series of tricks. And it was an awareness that that wasn't working. This whole series of slick hat tricks where they're buzzing around this way and that. And it wasn't... I didn't have a routine with it. It was a bunch of things thrown together. And somebody was asking me to start a show. And, okay, I'll do a show. Somebody's asking. That's the start of a crowd right there. That's what you need. Okay, I'll start a show. And I went over and got my hat, and I was just a little bit tired, and I started flipping it over my arm, and I didn't stop. I just kept going with it. <laughs> and the routine flowed from there. Uh, an early, that was an early version of the routine. It was just the beautiful thing about street performing or anywhere where you can get in a lot of shows is you can try out something different every show. Um, and if you can, if you're doing three shows a day or more even sometimes and you can get uh, you can take anything that doesn't work in the show and you can do anything different if you're there's not an obligation to be good 
uh, you're not being hired by somebody. You don't need to put out your best stuff all the way straight across the board, a material, because you're out playing around. This is what you're doing. You're trying to find the character and the, the interactions that work between you and the crowd. And when you find something, uh, so it went from, it was, it was from a place of tiredness, flipping the hat over my arm. I'd already probably been on three or four shows a day and somebody's asking me to do another one. I'll do another one. But it was that, that repetition and just recognizing, well, this is something, what is it? And then not panicking and jumping to something else, but staying with it long enough to figure out what could this be? Mm-hmm. This is my favorite trick. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's a different one. And then back to, but this, this one, this one's my favorite. And, and that was the birth of the whole routine. Uh, and, and it flowed quite easily from there, a two or three minute routine of doing hat tricks where I kept coming back to my favorite trick and laughing at my own stuff and yeah uh, and being goofy <laughs> well I, I can imagine some people listening <clears throat> trying to justify well how do I do good performance how do I do good magic how do I good, do good comedy good juggling so that people like the thing that I'm doing better as a whole but at the same time, go out and play around and try and take this material and flesh it out and do mm-hmm. it in front of an audience and figure it out. And I think the answer to that is your material can be bad if they like you. If what you're doing is honest and vulnerable and, and uh, is expressing yourself uh-huh. and they're all part of it. It's all happening in real time and you're present with it. People are much more forgiving in that open space uh-huh. because they understand what the purpose is without necessarily you having to tell them this isn't a finished thing right. it feels alive if you yeah if you can keep it alive and if you <clears throat> and for me at that point to do that routine that wasn't quite working one more time would have been uh you know the all the slick hat tricks and whatnot trying to gather a crowd or it just wasn't it wasn't there it wasn't i wasn't alive in doing that it wasn't working how i wanted to i needed to change something around mm-hmm and slowing it down turned out to be the thing that it needed. Um, I should work that routine back into the show. I haven't done that. <laughs> Probably 10 years I haven't done that. Before. How many routines do you think you have? How many routines? Well, we got two hours of material we do in Twisted Cabaret, my theater show. And uh, and even and even that, we can't put all the routines into any one show. I mean, it's, I probably got... Three or four, probably four hours of material. Wow! On stage Golly, for on stage. Always got my favorites that I'm enjoying playing with now, and always got some props that I'm working on building that are, you know, that are an idea that this will be. Well, I actually just enjoy working on props, so that's a. Just built a hat not too long ago. A hat. <clears throat> I, a hat with a little microphone that lowers down and a little amplifier on the front of it. <laughs> Uh, steampunk style thing, okay, and and a little lamp which folds out. So, and what it does is it allows me when I'm doing walk around. You get hired to do these walk around gigs, and you show up, and there's a band playing, and you can yell over the crowd, over the band, and and do an hour of walk around magic in this setting, <clears throat> and your voice is gone by the end of it. So I thought, well, if I have the microphone, and then I put on the lamp. That would uh, now it could be dark and it could be loud. <laughs> I could still do it, and it's really it, 
Uh, I don't wear it all the time. It's a little heavy, but it's a fun device. It's got batteries all around the back side of the hat and the, the amplifier on the front and the little lamp that folds out. And then I just rigged uh, uh, sparks, a little button that shoots off these sparks up at the top. It's uh, from a stun gun coil. <clears throat> And then another button right next to that you push, and it pushes up on the fuel container, and you get this 18-inch flame coming up off the hat. It's kind of... <laughs> How do people react to this thing? Oh, it's good fun. I mean, I mainly do it as an, uh, an addition to... Um, uh, that, that point, I've just been showing off the features, <laughs> features of the hat. But for the actual walk-around magic... Yeah. It's fine. It's a it's a steampunk looking hat, and it's got these things built into it that work. And oh, sure, no, I mean that I'm part sure. that just allows me to be heard without screaming over the crap over yeah. the noise. It could be a loud bar, or it could be music, it could be you know any any of these situations that are just we've all. I mean, if you do walk around magic, you've played them. Yeah, I said pick a card. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. It's great, but it's not. It's uh, kind of hellish. <laughs> oh yeah, no, but the, the hat I think is. Well, the hat is fun. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So I carry it. I got it. In the, sometimes it's out in the car, even if it's not even there. But I get there into the situation. No, nope, this is where I want this hat. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, uh, there's so much to talk about. What? So when did you? When did you start working on magic and sort of innovating interesting things in that? And then, like... Early on, I came up with some stuff with coins. I was trying to figure out how to flip a coin very quickly from one hand to the other uh, while turning both hands face down. Uh, and came up with this way. I was trying and trying and trying it, sitting there in the mirror, and I could, watching it go across every time, I could see it way too clear. It's not working at all. And my mom comes up. This is back when I was probably 14 years old. She said, wait a minute, what did you what did you just do? <laughs> it was working perfectly, but of course I can feel it exactly when it leaves my hand and shift my eyes over. Right then my eyes are shifting over towards the other hand. So I'm watching it go across every single time because I know exactly when it's traveling. But if you didn't know when it's traveling, it's this trick I still use. It, uh, yeah. I do it as part of a multiple coins across. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, toss and there it is. The yeah, the the flip over thing works kind of nice. That, I came up with when I was fourteen, and then I was working on. Uh, started working, yeah, a few different coin things I came up with early on, and then I started working on cards. Back in high school, I started learning, you know, some high, higher end stuff. Sure. So a couple different things, but never finished learning it. And then I didn't really, I did a bunch of card magic through the years, but about, this is about 18 years ago now. Uh, I got, uh, I was working on a riverboat in Nashville, uh, going up and down the Cumberland River. What have you not done? <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of crap. <laughs> but I was doing a juggling act on the boat, and I had to get on two and a half hours before my show, and I'd walk around the deck, get a little exercise, and then I'd go sit in my very small dressing room. Too small to practice the juggling, so I took up the cards again. And over the course of that nine months, I finished learning some of the more difficult moves I'd come up with and 
put them together into a whole series of things of tricks, original tricks that I still do that I won't share with your listeners because <laughs> magicians rip each other off. It's terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I came up with a, um, a whole series of tricks that I then when I have showed them to other magicians, there have been a bunch of people who've traded me some of their best stuff for it because it's uh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, fun, fun, amazing yeah. uh, uh, series trick that uh, one after the next after the next without without resets in between, and they're different tricks than you've seen. Yeah, I showed you that series. That series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Jordan, Jordan's a big fan as well. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's kind of the, what he said to me after we saw you. This is between uh, you know the end of the show and then the little after party in the courtyard uh-huh. afterwards at Booby Trap. Right. I was like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And he's like, yeah, and now he's going to do magic for you. And you're going to get your mind blown. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> it's like, he's like a unicorn. <laughs> I have fun with it. I've been, been playing with the magic for, yeah. Took back up the cards and, and came up with a bunch of original stuff there. And a bunch of the difficult part of magic is just coming up with the the premise of what you want to do, the idea, like something I might do at Booby Trap tonight. The uh, I'm not sure. I've got one of a couple of routines, but one of them is a card trick where the cards end up. Two different people select cards, sign them, shuffle them back into the deck, and they end up taping up the deck with. Oh, it's a stupid routine. You, you, can, you need to seal up the deck. You got tape? I'm kidding. I got tape right here in my pocket. Oh, no. There's a hole in my pocket. The tape fell through, but I could probably reach it here. Zip. <laughs> I got a hold of one end of the tape. Here, pull on this. Rip. Tape coming out of my fly and uh, wrapping it around the deck of cards. And uh, and then they end up... Uh, anyways, a couple... Uh, cards end up glued onto my nipples at the end of the routine uh-huh. there's a couple i'm actually confusing a couple of routines here but uh yeah there's these this crazy trick where i came up with oh my gosh if you get cards onto your nipples how would you I start thinking about how would you do this i'm wearing a full tuxedo you know how is it possible and it doesn't seem possible and then i came up with step by step over a period of a uh, hour of working on it i came up with a way of doing it and i go to show my boy <clears throat> my boy is probably 12 years old. He's 15 now. He's 12 years old when I came up with this. Uh-huh. And he'd bust me on the smallest thing. Well, I don't know what you did, Papa, but when you turn from your left to your right, it was clear that was when it took place. Yeah, It's great to <laughs> have somebody. Kid. Oh, he's a, he's watched me enough to know when things go on, what they look like. No, yeah. you did one of the extra long blinks. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to see what you're doing yourself uh, and you're looking at yourself in a mirror or watching yourself, you do a long blink because you're closing your eyes so you don't see the secret move. It's stupid. <laughs> That's something I'm guilty of at times. <laughs> Got to force my eyes to stay open to practice. <laughs> <laughs> I The thing that I do is uh, I don't blink, but I'll... I'll unfocus my eyes. Oh, okay. And so, that's like, that's even worse because then I haven't really recognized that I didn't. Yeah. I, I like feel myself. Hey, quit it. Focus. Do the thing. Watch. Yeah, exactly. Watch, 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 watch. That's the magic of an iPhone now. You, you used to be you need to practice and practice and practice until you could do something well enough to look in the mirror and focus on what you're watching rather than what you're doing before you could do it. Now you flip out your phone, you put it on record. You try it five times, it works once, you watch it and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. 
you don't need to learn it as much as you did before and you don't the investment is a lot smaller yeah it's the the return is a lot quicker too yeah yeah if you get something that works yeah so i'm always pulling out things and videotaping but so i show aiden this my son this trick and like i said he'll bust me on every little thing or and at the end of the trick i unbutton my shirt and open it up and two cards um over one over each nipple and peel them off and and he looks at me with a doesn't give up a whole lot uh but he says yeah papa that that was good <laughs> Woohoo! yeah i've got a winner <laughs> aiden admitted it was good oh my goodness <laughs> oh, that's super funny yeah i i was fooled very badly by the the two tricks that you do back to back where that's the second one. Oh, the card, the card yeah. to the nipples yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i real yeah. bad by those mm-hmm. it was amazing it's kind of And then I saw a couple of days later, after I'd, right when I'd come up with that, I see a picture of, I'm trying to remember the fellow's name, um, a Polish magician hanging out with Gazo. I don't know. I'm forgetting his name right now. So a picture of him with his shirt open and a card on his chest. I thought he's come up with the same trick. And I run into him that day saying, oh, that picture. Oh, I'm interested. I'm interested in that trick. He goes, "Oh, that's not a trick. That's just a promo shot." I just, yes. <laughs> I, was so, I was so happy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I try and come up with uh, a lot of my own stuff is primarily what I like to do because I work around. Uh, I I'm in with a lot of the business crowd in the San Francisco area, and they've seen a lot of magic. Wealthier people have had have been around magician after magician after magician and if you're doing the same tricks everyone else is doing you're going to look exactly like one of them mm-hmm. and i like doing my own stuff because hey that's different yeah <laughs> it's new it's novel it's interesting exactly yeah, yeah. ended up with hanging out with steve Wynn one night uh <laughs> out in northern california and we sure this is this is going to be a big huge break for me no nothing not <laughs> zero from it <laughs> but he's watching from about six inches away because he's nearly blind and he's telling all the people around this is amazing you don't know what you guys are watching this is outstanding this is unbelievable this guy's really 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 good <laughs> he's going on about me he's going to hire me to come out to do all these parties nothing <laughs> but, but it was fun having him there watching from this far away then he has a his couple of magicians he's worked with through the years and sure. so he's seen he's seen a lot of this stuff and he was blown away that's amazing um do you ever get burned out i mean do you ever reach a point where you're like God, i need to put this down for a little while any of it i've got enough different things i'm interested in so not performing overall i uh, but if I'm doing the same thing over and over again if I've got the same show set and it's happening too much the same i'll have to switch it up some but I've got enough different stuff so I can do that pretty easily. That's great. And I've also, if you're enjoying working on physical moves, you know, jug, uh, you know the manipulation stuff you can do, and you're working on props, and you're working on comedy routines, and you're working on, you know, you have all these different aspects of it to work on. If one part's not speaking to you, you focus on the other for a bit. How do you know which, which part to move to? 
if you have to move. Oh, I see. If yeah, it's by what's holding your interest. I mean, that's it's the Howard Thurman quote: "Do not ask what the world needs; ask what makes you come alive, and go do that." Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's amazing. And yeah, it's a, a great quote, and it's so accurate. So many people in this world doing what they think somebody else wants, or what uh, what could be what they could do that could please somebody else. Please yourself, and see what happens. Are these lessons that you're bestowing upon your children? Oh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> My little girl got into magic not too long ago, and uh, my boy did when he was back when he was six years old. He learned oh, a bunch of high step and stuff, and he, it was fun. It's fun watching a a, a five year old walk up to he, he got to where he he was really enjoying it for a while and going up to people in a restaurant. Can I show you a card trick? <laughs> We're out at dinner somewhere, and the people are oh yes, look at this <laughs> five year old kid. She wanted to show you a card trick. And then he floors him with something, you know. You can see the go from the smile, isn't this cute, to wait a minute, how the hell did that <laughs> But now he's not he's not so interested in it now. But my girl is uh, is is doing a number of uh, magic tricks now. It's kind of fun. It is fun. Um, do you are you are you gonna encourage that or do you think she'll grow out of it or hoping she'll grow out of it. <laughs> no, if there's a lot of bad reasons to be a magician and one of them will be because daddy is a magician and you want to please him yeah i leave the there's there's room for her to be a magician if she wants to and i could certainly help train her uh in this craft and and this art uh but i don't wish that on her <laughs> It's this very is, benevolent of you. This, this is a great. This is a great job. If it's a phenomenal job to have, if if there's really nothing else you could do that would, if you just can't help yourself, this is the this is the thing to do. This yeah. is it. It's great. But if you could do something else, or if you'd rather do something else, oh, by all means, do that. If you're in this for the money, <laughs> wrong. There's some people who will make money at it, I'm sure, but but it's not uh, not the most of us. Do you are you happy with the things that you've done in your life? Are you uh, fulfilled by the the Frank Olivier legacy? Not that it's nearly done. Yeah. But... Oh, it's um, it could be done. That would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very very proud of my kids and who they are and who they're growing up and into and. Uh, happy with, yeah, I've done a I've done a good job at uh, at keeping myself interested in what I do. I see a lot of people who do get burned out on this or who do the same twenty minute act and that's it uh, over and over and over again. And it's hard to stay uh, if you're not innovating and doing something new and fresh. Uh, and variety, the variety arts sort of require a kind of uh, purposeful amnesia, where you pretend this is the first time again. <laughs> a little bit like Groundhog's Day, if you, if you get stuck in it. <laughs> um, it, it. It hasn't been a curse to me at all. 
there's certain times where business is slow and I turn to my wife and say, I'm in the entertainment business, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's other times where it feels too busy and I uh, don't have enough time for family and usually want to be working a little more than I am. How do we educate the public? What do we do to make them understand that what we do, what magicians, what variety performers, what sideshow acts, you name it, what these people that are expressing themselves through a weird skill or hobby, uh-huh. how do we how do we educate them on the fact that it's important and that it's a way to experience something that you didn't even know existed or think was possible? Uh-huh. And I come back to not thinking uh, it's about educating the public; it's about being on fire with it ourselves, like any good professor uh, gets their students on fire by being on fire with it themselves. They can't, you should be really interested in this biology because it's really important. No, how you do it is by being really interested in it yourself and fascinated with all the aspects of it and a bunch of your students will get turned on to that. It's like you catch it, You you don't teach it as a mental exercise you catch it as a feeling from human to human that'd be that'd be my take on it no yeah that's incredibly <laughs> profound i've never thought about it that way but it makes so much sense when you say it that yeah i i mean my favorite my favorite things now are because of teachers and professors that were amazing and it's it's so important too because uh the people that influenced me so much magically were really interesting three-dimensional people that had opinions and and deep knowledge in a variety of subjects and things like that they just they just lived their lives exceptionally and that influenced the way that i approach magic you know right. you the the saying uh you know you have to live a life worth commenting on and that's what we do with our art is uh-huh the the self-expression is is you there has to be something to express what is it that you express well going over some of the stuff we've already gone over earlier is a an aliveness in the moment a presence uh is ideally uh and and a sense of fun that you can create that you can decide to do something strictly out of frivolity (laughs) (laughs) that's great was it Bert Lahr I think his son said something like frivolity is is humanity refusing to refusing to suffer or something oh wow the idea that we can do this because it's a good idea because it's fun because it's (laughs) it's a it's a purely human thing because I I like to think like so here, okay, so talking about self-expression, like the person that I am and the person that I want to present, I want to be as close to each other as they are, right? Or as they can be. Mm-hmm. And and for me, that means like I, I want to be empathetic. I want to care about other people. I want them to have a good time. And I and this isn't just like when I'm performing, it's just in general. It's like I, I want to be interested in someone, I want to know how they feel and what they think, and I want to connect with them on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And so then in my magic, that's 
you know kind of the feeling that i want to to give that's that's what i want to express that's i don't want i i have this i don't like it when magicians go into performing mode like you can hear their voice change or you know their cadence or their intonation it just feels superficial yeah it's like now i'm doing a trick and i'm going to you know it's like uh-huh. It, it, just personally, me, the kind of stuff that I do and the situations in which I perform, it's that <clears throat> kind of thing. Yeah. It's that kind of self-expression. Um, so, yeah. What, um, do you perform professionally when, not, when not, you're doing that? Or is it mostly in social settings? Or Yeah, it's mostly informal in, in social uh-huh. settings. Um, yeah. And... A fair amount of what I do is that as well. I like, I mean, I like it enough, so I end up doing it. And people request, "Oh, Frank, do a trick for, come over here, show my friend something." Or uh, in social settings, I get asked to do a fair amount of magic as well. It's one of those, one of those professions. Unlike uh, lawyers, don't get that. I've got this case. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they get a certain amount of that as well. I mean, every, everyone, doctors get that a huge amount. Sure. My elbow hurts when I... <laughs> Can you tell me what this rash is? <laughs> um, it, yeah, you can't... It's, it's interesting that you have so many different skill sets because uh, it's almost like you can perform anywhere at any time with anything. Uh, even if somebody sees you juggle... They're not going to ask you, you know, hey, come over here and juggle for me and my friend. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's a much bigger thing. So uh-huh. how does that influence the way um, you like prepare for a show? Like having all these different things, not necessarily mm-hmm. like putting an act together, but like when you're thinking about a, root, a routine or, or I'm sorry, routining a show. Uh-huh. What is the what are the highs and lows and the beats and like how do you kind of think about Putting well, all we're putting together a big show like Twisted Cabaret, um, and we have, you know, I sort of I will often do about sixteen different acts during Twisted Cabaret. Uh, the premise of the show kind of fun that the bus got pulled over and all the artists have been deported, uh, and now the show has to go on, and, and I'm going to do all the acts. That's the basic basic premise of the show, <clears throat> along with uh, my hunchback assistant who's going to help be my MC. <laughs> Uh, and <clears throat> when, um, but in putting together all these different acts, there's, I'll take into account, uh, primarily comedy routines, primarily spoken, spoken routines, the physical staging of where it takes place. Um, I try not to do too many routines in a row where I'm standing there talking and the main focus is on. Uh, torso and 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 head, uh, all in a row. I work on routines that include music. Uh, not all my routines have music, but uh, the ones there's some that are primarily music, the unicycle ballet and things like this. I try not to have too many silent pieces in a row, or too. I, I like to mix everything up. Volunteer routine is a. Uh, a lot of people use volunteers for everything they do and. It's a great tool, but if it's the only one you've got, it's uh, it gets monotonous. Yeah, yeah. If if the, if you've only got a hammer, all your problems start to look like nails. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the only tool you've got, uh, if you've got 
yeah, if it's the only tool in your bag, then uh, then it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be limited what you can do. So I like to mix up musical routines, um, com primarily comedy routines, uh, the verbal comedy, the uh, the volunteer routines, the, the framing of it. In other words, in Twisted Cabaret, I've got uh, things to take up more of the full stage, and there's some that are uh, more tend to be more stationary. Mm -hmm. Try and mix all that up to give different looks and feels to it. And when you put all those things together, you end up with a dynamic show. Um, it, it, it's just keeping it varied and, and being aware of where what your ruts could be. Three musical routines in a row, and they haven't listened. They, you haven't talked to them in a long time, or a bunch of volunteer routines in a row. Also, uh, there's vis visible skills. I like to keep that mixed in there as well uh, with. They know they've just seen something that requires a lot of skill. <laughs> uh, it's easy to put uh, several routines, especially when you're doing magic. Magic doesn't have that. They, the illusion is that you're not doing anything, like what we talked about earlier. You take all your skills, you turn it inward to make it look like you're not doing anything. Well, guess what? If you're successful, it doesn't look like you're doing anything. <laughs> it's a very unimpressive thing. We're not trying to convince people we're really superhuman and actually have these abilities. Uh, and the, I think with today's crowds, you get that a lot, lot less people. I think a hundred years ago, you got a lot more people really believing who you could have superhuman abilities. Sure. There's still people that believe that of certain folks. I had a funny one happen up at this, uh, Harbin hot springs. It burned down a couple of years ago, but years ago I went up there, <clears throat> got invited to perform and have one of the things they did end up doing was a bunch of magic for these folks. One guy kept saying, well, I know you're really good at this stuff. These are really, really good, but you're doing tricks. Sai Baba is his guru. Sai Baba does real magic. And he does some simple production, produces flowers at his fingertips is what he does. Mm -hmm. And does it with exactly how you'd assume he would do it. <laughs> and it's completely delightful. And his followers love it, except that they get confused that he's doing real magic, manifesting actual flowers at his fingertips by just being that alive. <laughs> by just, <laughs> so this guy kept going on and on, but Sai Baba does real magic. You're doing the, you're doing trickery. Yeah, I'm doing trickery, you know. <laughs> Later, in the warm pools, everyone's naked. And I'm walking up towards this same guy who, this major skeptic. And he says, now, Everyone's naked. Now, if you could produce a coin, that would be magic. He points at me. It was a gift from heaven. <laughs> On the wall, sitting right next to him, is a penny. <laughs> I step off to the step off to the side so I can lean up against the wall just a little bit. I've palmed it off. I'm done. Any size coin? Any size coin. Okay, let's try and gather the copper molecules and pulling them in and doing this whole thing and turning the penny over and over in my fingers, but not letting him see it at all. And when I let him get that first glimpse of it, his eyes nearly pop out of his head. <laughs> that was one of my best magic tricks ever. Oh, man. A penny on request producing a coin when you're naked. 
<laughs> no, no, no. He's he's desperately trying to find a way out of. You 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 made me ask you that question. Go, going into your head and forming a question would be more difficult than manifesting a penny. <laughs> no, you 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 <laughs> doesn't want me to be doing real magic because <laughs> his his guru does real magic and I'm not like his guru. His he knows that. It would be all. I said, what, you let Sai Baba produce flower after flower after flower, but you won't let me produce one single penny? <laughs> <laughs> it was too much fun. It was, those, those are the moments you live for as a magician. <laughs> oh, man, being able to, and also like being prepared. You know, that's what they say is luck is uh, preparation meeting opportunity. Is yeah. like, man, those are golden moments. Um, I did uh, some busking for a little while. Uh-huh. And... I uh, I I was glad to hear the way that you said that you drew a crowd because I did something similar. I started with a coin trick on a table, and uh, you know I was like, "Here, I'll show you a coin trick. You and you or whatever, I'll show you a coin trick. This will be just for you guys. But if it's good, you have to clap really loud and help me build up a crowd, and then I'll do a real shot, right? So that kind of thing. But uh, these two women are walking past and I, I grew up in Louisiana. I was busking in Northern Louisiana. So not down in New Orleans where it's fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I, these two women are walking past. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm doing some magic if you want to see. And they come over and, uh, they, what do you, what, what is this? Uh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to show you some magic. And they go, Oh no, 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 no. That's magic. It's from the devil. We don't, we don't believe in that. We don't uh, participate in that kind of thing. And I responded with, no, 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 no. This, I promise, you'll love this. Uh, I'm sworn to only use my powers for good. <laughs> that's what I said. I said, I said, no, 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 this is okay. I prayed for these powers to God, and he gave me the ability to oh, do no. this. Okay. And so I'm doing um, Dean Dill's uh, coin matrix. You know, there's no cards. You're just waving your hands over the coins. And... They're standing there, and each time the coin, I cover the coins and close my eyes, and I'm like, ah, I pray to the Lord that the coin will go to the... And then, you know, <laughs> and they stayed for the whole show and gave me the biggest tip in the hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I felt so conflicted about it. <laughs> uh, but, I, yeah, it's amazing what people choose to believe in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And another fun one like that. <clears throat> I, lo- I love those things where where the opportunity comes up just right. Mm-hmm. I'd thrown this thing into a bag. I was working on a levitation trick, and so I was out on the streets working on just just going out to do a couple shows to, to try out this levitation thing. And I, I threw in this crystal ball. I didn't even know why I threw it in to my bag with a tiny little card glued on it, you know, a little tiny two of spades or whatever it was, that would then, if you look at through the ball at the right angle you see a, a big two of spades it's just there's a fun little trick to it i mean so i had that in my bag and i'm not even thinking about it and i'm doing a couple card tricks and this half crazy one comes no this isn't magic. this isn't real magic real magic is that if that little girl could tell me what card i'm thinking of okay hand her I force the two of spades on her and go over to the little girl with the crystal ball. <laughs> Look into the crystal ball. Do you see anything? No, no, I'm twisting it real slowly. Do you see anything? Do you see anything? And when the crystal, her eyes get big, she says, you chose the two of spades. And the woman throws the card down and says, you told her what to say. And this little 
seven-year-old honest girl, pure, innocent. pure <laughs> innocent voices. No, I saw it in the crystal ball. <laughs> Thank you. My show is that. I'm, I'm good. Oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> that was a fun one. Good. <gasps> you told her what it. No, I saw it in the crystal ball. <laughs> oh man, I can't. I always have a hard time remembering stuff like that that's happened for me on the spot. Yeah. Um, I mean, remembering it on the spot, I have a hard time. Oh, I get it. Um, but yeah, those are great. Is there anything that you want to share with uh, the listeners, or you know, all you have to do is find your deepest, darkest secret and then uncover it for the crowd. <laughs> uh, vulnerability. I was always somewhat awkward as a as a, a child and learned juggling and all these amazing skills. But when you put those two things together, you end up with something that turns out to be pretty interesting, an awkward juggler, somebody that uh, um, has that sort of a vulnerability and is trying to present something that is skill-based and has the lack of the slickness that, come, that quite often traditionally uh, is associated with an artiste of... Uh, of this type when you can bring those juxtapositions together you get something fairly interesting popping out and finding what it is that it is sort of uncovering your deepest darkest secrets but it's also listening and and finding is a certain amount of self-discovery based in it uh, you, you, that you need to to do and explore we all have the person we want to be but who are you? How comfortable are you just being that? And if you can find find what it takes to stay in that. Like I said early on, I had the, I came up with the laughing at myself, the village idiot sort of <laughs> laughing all the way through my whole set, and that worked for a long time, but not continually. I mean, that wasn't wasn't uh, the end all be all of what I was looking for, but the 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 honesty what is it you're trying to cover up and and instead of covering that up wherever you're most i'm just saying something wherever you're most self-conscious or your your deepest secrets are those are those are also where your deepest treasures are and it's we certainly don't get taught that in as in society and certainly not in los angeles <laughs> <laughs> You learn to cover up every little flaw with the bright makeup and the yeah. <laughs> surgery this way and that and all that. But uh, but those are uh, the, the flaws are what make us human and what make us amazing. And uh, and to find those and not cover them up, but still have to gain an awareness of how those how we can hold those things and still be who we want to be and who we are. Yeah. That's a few more words on that. I don't know if it's helpful or not. No, absolutely it is. And it's so important. And I think it's, we're in a good time for that too, because I mean, because of technology, because of ease of access of information, I think people are craving human honest experiences and, and sharing themselves. And so if we can be the conduit for basically giving someone else permission to 
love themselves with their deepest darkest secrets then that's amazing yeah by by sharing it i mean that's that's kind of sort of what stand-up comedy is right now is is the kind of bear it all you know show the ugly because it's universal you know we have to speak to the universal truths and everybody like you said you know has their their flaws their deep dark secrets that make us human so yeah how do you overcome the fear of sharing yourself like that um by having what you're doing not working like you want it to work (laughs) (laughs) that was it really when frank pointed out uh you know i'm just going to tell you some things you told me about how amazing it was that it was loose and it was fun and it was in the moment and yeah thinking feeling oh my gosh yeah that's exactly what i needed to hear it's amazing to me for me because um, this podcast is is something that i have been very honest on and open about things in my personal life and uh you know it, this is an exercise in me being vulnerable and putting out my opinion and and you know because i'm self-conscious about you know my my thoughts and the position that i'm in that i have a podcast and that i can share my you know and there's more knowledgeable and mature people that aren't expressing themselves but i'm this you know i have the audacity to do it so that's a thing that i struggle with but you know it but i'm being authentic while doing it and people at least I hope they do forgive me for being wrong in their eyes because I'm trying to be honest about it, you know, and, and the capacity for people to accept and to empathize, even though their thing might not be your thing, they recognize that you're opening yourself to it. And in so giving them permission to be a little more comfortable with themselves, because that's been my experience with other people who have shared. Yeah. And the last thing is you were asking about street performing. There is a situation where people are wandering by. They own it as much as you own it. But if you don't act like you're, they're coming across your scene, your setting, then you're not going to be owning the space in a way which allows them to come into your atmosphere. You are now coming into their setting and it'll, it won't be successful. Mm-hmm. So... Owning the whole setting, everything that's going on, the bus honks its horn, that's happening within your living room, your your space. If that goes on and you don't acknowledge it, uh, the, the crazy person walking through, the this, the that, all those things happening, they're happening within your space. And if you can own that, and it's the same way for a comedy club or another setting. If you're coming onto their stage and trying to please them in their setting, then you're two steps behind where you need to be. And if you come out on stage and now this is yours and you own all of this and it's, uh, then they're, you're bringing them into your world, mm-hmm. which is what they want. They want you to take them on a, a on, journey, on they, a little trip. Exactly. Yeah, they want to feel like they're in the hands of an expert. You know, they paid money to see this. They don't they want it to be as easy for them as possible. <laughs> And maybe not for magicians, because <laughs> they'll fight you on it. Uh, some people will, but you know, for a lot of performance, the audience is there willingly, and they paid for it, and you know, and uh, and it's it's kind of the like I know you're talking about specifically on the street, but in general, uh, also, 
But uh, yeah, on the street, you have to, you sort of set this boundary. To, you know, And also, as you're building a crowd, the size of your space gets bigger. And you're, you have to be able to handle that. You have to be able to grow with the space. That's very important. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, I mean, it all goes back to just being alive in the moment. And you can stay alive and stay present and, and own the situation and mm-hmm. stay vulnerable and, and, <laughs> and, and be proficient at what you're presenting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. But it's fulfilling. It's a pretty good, pretty good gig. Yeah. It's the only job I've ever had. So I like, Magic at its best is a reminder of that which is beyond our knowing mm. and the miraculous nature of life. And and at its worst, it's uh, a guy who thinks he's more clever than you trying to fool you. <laughs> and to focus on ways to be the first guy, the reminder of that which is beyond our knowing. I found that in India when I went and did tricks in India with little pebbles and coins and whatnot, there was this whole, (gasps) it wasn't a puzzle to be figured out. It was, yes, it's happening here in front of us. This is amazing. This is the miracles. And it was, then I went to Morocco where, and I was sort of expecting the same sort of a thing. And it's just the opposite. They all lean over and start trying to talk to each other, figure out how it might be done. (laughs) All just a puzzle is... How do you respond in that situation? Where they're speaking in Arabic? Oh, no, 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 no. I just mean when somebody's watching and they're not in the moment, is there anything that you do to try and pull them into it or do you just let them? I'm just Um, curious about sort of audience management. Sometimes if somebody um, knows just enough magic to um, be able to prove to somebody there that they're not being fooled by you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the those are the worst. Yeah. So I always like taking that person up and frying them if I can. Uh, and I like <clears throat> I have a, a sucker trick, which was well, it's, it's a very very strong illusion for vanishing a single coin for somebody. I did it actually years ago. Another, I was, I'm not naked a whole lot of the time. Uh, there was a Hawaiian vaudeville festival. I went up to uh, Mr. McBride. Jeff McBride was out there and vanished a coin in front of him on the nude beach. Big silver dollar right in front of him. Turned around, showed my hands empty, my arms empty, turned around and walked away. <laughs> Later, yeah, that was a pretty interesting trick you showed me <laughs> Tried him with it. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an angles thing. But it, uh, but if there, if there's anyone else around, you could fry the person, and everyone else is laughing because they they see you, but the one person doesn't see it at all. So it's good. It's great. I Jordan's routine with that vanish is uh-huh. really beautiful. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's come up with some fun stuff around the edges of it and, and doing variations that don't require that. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate this so much. We, oh, we usually we usually end uh, by asking the guests what the the hard like when you felt astonishment the most, the hardest, the biggest time you were ever like truly astonished, blown away by something, totally blown away by something. It doesn't have to be magic either, yeah. like yeah. a conjuring trick, but it could be. 
Yeah, let me think. It's always... It happens on a fairly regular basis. Going to the castle, there's magicians who will fry me, and there's nothing I like better than being fooled. Um, doesn't happen enough, but it happens enough so that... And that's one thing I like about the castle. Is, and I like telling somebody, I have absolutely no idea how you did that. <laughs> that was fantastic. A lot of magicians won't fess up to being having just been fooled, but that's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, me too. I love it. I like you, you got me. I have no idea. What'd you just do? Yeah. I like rewarding people with that. Yeah. You know, it's like you really knocked my socks off. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And, uh, one other one that I got to I got to do a couple years back. Another one like what we were talking about of those opportune tricks where things just fall into place yeah miracle there's yeah. a guy <clears throat> at this the california club down here in los angeles the chevalier de testavin dinner it's a burgundy wine appreciation dinner a white tie affair everyone's in white vest and white tie and tails and i stand out only because i'm wearing a top hat aside from that i look like everybody else <laughs> and i'm doing card tricks for people as they're coming in and an old guy comes in with a young lady on his arm. And I notice his vest is inside out with the studs of the buttons showing on the outside of his vest. And when he looks away from him, I tug on my own vest and gesture to the girl he's with his vest. And she nods at me saying, yeah, like, I'm not going to tell him. You're going to tell him. <laughs> so I do a couple quick little bits of magic and they say but real magic takes place maybe without even any props you think it'd be possible to get somebody's vest off of them without removing their coat he says i don't see how well, let's take it a step further than that and i pull him in close and i yank at his vest from this side and from that side and I go there i've turned it inside out and he looks down and says what the <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of my favorite tricks because for the rest of the night, he couldn't talk about anything else. Didn't matter what else I did. That's nothing. You should have seen what he did earlier. He turned my vest around in less than five seconds. <laughs> it took me almost five minutes in the men's room to put it back on the right way. <laughs> and I gave her a big wink at the end of it. And she never tipped him, of course, because he was so blown away. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful collusion. Yeah, it was, it was fun, though. Because here he was, somebody was going to tell him and he was going to feel like a fool. And instead, I get to do an amazing piece of magic. <laughs> yeah, everybody wins. Everybody wins, exactly. That's great. <laughs> That's what magic should be. I agree. I 100% Find ways agree. to use your powers to be kind to people. <laughs> yes. That's the that's the goal. That's the goal. That should be the pursuit, I think. Because, yeah. you know, that's what art ought to be, you know, in its purest form, I think. There's... Of course, room for parody and for uh, satire, but like, yeah. I think I think the purest human emotion is is joy and and yeah. you know sharing. Well, thank you so much, Frank. This was incredible. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Is there anything you want to plug or anything that you want to tell people to check out or Twisted oh, Cabaret? Well, a couple Where of weeks. A couple of weeks. We'll be doing Twisted Cabaret up in Vancouver. I don't even remember the, the Vancouver Cabaret Theater, I think it's called, something like that. And we'll be there May 19th and 20th, somewhere, Friday and Saturday, whatever that one is, right there. Okay. It'll be good fun. If you're in town, come on up to that. 
uh, in town this week at the castle doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't know when this will be tomorrow. It'll be tomorrow. mounted tomorrow. So yeah, opening tonight. <laughs> <laughs> doing a short version of Twisted Cabaret. We'll just do a 40 minute long thing in the Peller Theater. And got a couple of new fun things that uh, magicians will appreciate. So. I'm incredibly excited to see you in the Peller and to see you tonight at Booby Trap. So really good. I know you got to go prep for that show again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. One of my favorite performers. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, email me at podcast at artofmagic.com to let me know your thoughts or join the conversation at the Facebook group dedicated to magical thinking listeners. You can find it by searching for Magical Thinking Podcast on Facebook and give us a like over on the Facebook fan page while you're at it. If you enjoyed the show, share the episode or episodes that you found most interesting and inspiring and let people know what you got out of it. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.